0: I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical
1: approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome
0: to the broadcast. This is uh, Theology Unplugged. We are coming to you folks in a very special way once again. We are in the middle of the Credo House, Tim. That's right. Coming to you live. No, not live. I always say live. We're recording it live. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be weird. How could you not record live? I know. That's. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think we ought to figure out a way to do that. That'd be very efficient.
1: That's, that's getting into philosophy, so it's good that we have a philosopher here that we could talk about. Yeah, we do things. have a philosopher
0: here. It is our special broadcast called Converse with Scholars on Theology Unplugged, where if, if you've never been to the Credo House or you've come here sometimes realize that every few months, every couple months, we have a special scholar that comes in. We fly him in from out of town and and uh, and give them uh, a topic to speak on and really it's the whole day with scholars. We have a yeah. three-part act where we have first the the uh, lunch with scholars for the members of the Credo House, then we hang out with the scholars and, well really it's a four-part act, then it's coffee with scholars where you can just come in and get your book signed, hang out with uh, the scholar. Then we have Theology Unplugged, then the big event is tonight where we will Um, uh, have uh, an evening with scholars. Yeah,
1: and the idea is basically, I mean, in many ways, Michael, it's you and me just being selfish. We sit around and we're like, who are people that we want to have at the Crudas to hang out with for a day? And then so we make other people pay for it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but, it, but in a non-selfish way, though, too, uh, if, if that exists for us, it, uh, part of our focus, too, is thinking of who are the people that we feel like most people wouldn't have easy access to people uh, who we think are gifted in ways that we think would help edify our city. And, uh, you know, we exist not not so much just for a particular church in our city, but that, with the hope that uh, that the Crude House might play a part in deepening our city to reach our city. And uh, and so we were, like, J.P. Moreland was here a little bit ago, Dan Wallace, uh, Greg Kokel, I think were the last three that we had, Mike Lacona. They're really the people that we wanted to sit down and talk about with with issues like that. We're we're tickled to death that we're going to have Yusto Gonzalez will be our next one in January on church history. Um, But this is a topic that you and me uh, seem to interact with a lot, problems of evil and suffering in the world. And and, uh, maybe it's just because dark storm clouds seem to follow us around (laughs) wherever we go. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I think that everybody says that problems of evil and suffering are... I think are always issues for people when thinking about God and thinking about Jesus, but uh for whatever reason in the 21st century it seems to be a little bit more of an issue than than
0: at other times. Well, let's introduce Paul. Tell, us, tell us who we got here and what the, the book is yep, you have in front of you. We've
1: got Dr. Paul Copan here. Uh, he suffers in West Palm Beach, Florida, is that right? Uh and uh is a part of uh, Palm Beach Atla- Palm Beach Atlantic Palm Beach Atlantic University. Uh teaches there. Uh, and so if you are one of his students, you are blessed, Um, and uh, we are looking at his book, Is God a Moral Monster? And a little bit of the background that I've been telling people is that many of the new atheists uh, will say, look, you have a God who killed his son. You have a God who told one of his first followers, uh, Abraham, to kill his son. You have a God who kills the Canaanites, even the children. You have a God
0: who... uh, allows pain and suffering in the world. Are you sure you have a good God? Slavery, stuff to do with women, oppression, and just on and on we go. Things we would not tolerate in an advanced society. We've grown beyond that, and now we're worshiping a God that is archaic and stuck in this. Yes, that's the way they did things back then, but how can God adapt to the morality of that day?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like we're these modern, nice people, and he's this medieval God, and uh, we're still... Communicating this God, and so many new atheists, I think, would say, "Let that God go, <laughs> uh, let him go, let that that evil, medieval-type God go, and let's just be 21st-century thinking people who want morality and ethics to be parts of people's lives." And so, uh, so Paul basically has written what what I think most people would consider to be uh, both a popular book, but but also being a, a, a very uh, pinpointed academic work uh, that is, is is an academic work that is looking straight at this issue and providing a a, a defense and, and providing a way of walking you through uh, these very practical uh, ways to think about is God a moral monster or is he not? Well, well welcome
0: Paul back again to Theology Unplugged. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you, glad to be back. So, Paul, tell us, uh, when did you start thinking about writing this book, and uh, what, what, what was it that really put that inside of you to say, I need to write a book about this topic?
2: Yeah. Well, I had come across um, you know, just even you know, some baffling passages in the Old Testament uh, just early on as a Christian, and sometimes you're, you do wonder, and it, it's not as though this is a, a question that uh, non-Christians alone ask, but mm-hmm. uh, Christians themselves Uh, you know, wonder about this. It seems like there's wrath, there's judgment, there's um, violence uh, in the Old Testament, uh, a certain harshness, and uh, trying to reconcile that with the the Jesus who says, uh, love your enemies, and you know, Jesus who was talking about the Old Testament scriptures as being authoritative, and that he came to fulfill those scriptures, and so on. Uh, So, you know, how do we figure those things out? So, you know, a lot of times, you know, We wonder, well, how does that really? How does the Old Testament mesh with the New, and and so forth? So, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while, Um, and then I've just been uh, just out of interest. I just having a degree in biblical studies and so forth. Have just tried to kind of keep up with some of these questions and research them as needed. Um, And then, uh, then uh, of course, the new atheists came out uh, after September 11th. Uh, People like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris and uh, you get titles of uh, books like God is Not Great, uh, How Religion Poisons Everything, and, um, you know, uh, and then you know, somebody like Richard Dawkins referring to uh, God as a Moral Monster, that's how I got the title, mm-hmm. thanks to Richard Dawkins. And, uh, and, and so they started to, in a sense, come out swinging after September 11th, saying well, the problem is not just Islam, it's all religions. Uh, Richard Dawkins did a documentary on religion as the root of all evil, uh, with the BBC, and uh, and so, you know, I kept on getting questions about this, and and thought, well, you know, I'll just do a little, uh, you know, work on this, and just kind of compiled a catalog of some of their uh, charges against the God of the Old Testament. And so began writing, uh, you know, you know, journal articles, and then basically developed into a uh, into a book. Um, just kind of got more, you know, kind of the snowball effect of just uh, kind of rolling with some of these. Uh, Themes and uh, realizing, hey, there's a lot of stuff that could be written uh, on this topic, and so I just tackled it. And and it's also just to let you know that I continue to work on this. I've got uh, several books in the works, uh, or contributions to books in the works as well, uh, that address some of these issues, and, you know, just through interacting with more recent literature and uh, and um, you know, just coming up with kind of developing ideas further. You know, got there's more stuff to be said on the matter. So this isn't the, the last word, so to speak, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's an unfolding process, and so I'm glad to be able to tackle this and engage with people and, and learn from some of their uh, some of their input. Or you know, could you address this issue? Or you didn't really go into a lot of detail on that. And so uh, so it's a matter of a of an unfold, kind of a, an ongoing concern to address these issues because it is troubling to people both uh, outside the church as well as within the church. And uh, so wanted to at least uh, try to get something into the hands of people that was accessible uh, that uh, that tried to utilize uh, the available scholarly resources in a, in a fair minded way uh, and so so that was really that 's a little bit of the backdrop to uh, to how I got into that
0: we 've gotten into uh, definitely i, I won 't even say that this is a niche this is something that uh, is the primary primary weapon that 's being used it provides incredibly Uh, effective if you want to put it that way sound bites uh, towards people it's a very emotional thing it's a very much a a thing that I think that every Christian who has ever read through the Old Testament pauses at places and just wonders and scratches their head I know I've had many uh, conversations with my wife as she reads through the Old Testament and she'll go to the certain points and say I just don't get it I don't understand it I don't know why it's even written here Mm -hmm. And and it just confuses me and and yep. so it, it becomes disturbing for some people. So some people just skip large portions of the Old Testament and just go to the New Testament and the places in the New Testament that, 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 that are uh, easier for us to digest and uh, relate to. But, you know, in your book you deal with several different problems that all fall under the same idea of God being a moral monster. Can you give me some idea of the different kind of... umbrella categories that these fall into uh of what is being challenged and what you are answering
2: sure well i mean uh richard dawkins for example talks about the ubiquitous kind of universal uh weirdness of the bible that there's just so much strange stuff in the bible you know lots and you know you know committing incest with his daughters and uh, you know, Abraham uh, being deceptive about his wife and, and so forth. And you say, well, what's going on here? Uh, you know, these, you know, here it's in the Bible. And of course, one of the points that I make is, well, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's being endorsed uh, by God. Uh, and, and so so the question is, well, you know, what about maybe those weird food laws or planting laws or clothing laws? You know, why, why can't a Jew wear polyesters or something, you know, what's the problem here? Uh, And so I try to unpack something about some of these civil laws, some of the uh, laws that were part of everyday life in Israel, you know, the certain taboos and so forth and try to offer categories to explain those things uh, to, and then I just talk about how even just kind of an incremental approach where you see the ideals stressed in Genesis 1 and 2 about monogamy husband husband and wife uh you know being one flesh as a permanent relationship uh you know every human being having dignity and worth being made in the image of god you know genesis chapter one and so forth and that these ideals have in a sense you know that well that the ancient near east departed from these sorts of ideals and so you see god Kind of stepping in, meeting people halfway, where he's trying to get them back to the ideal, but also working with some of the, um, you know, some of the embedded social structures, uh, which you know, for example, there's a patriarchal structure and so forth. But you also see God. In a sense, working with that, you know, the, the the male is the, in a sense, the point person, the legal point person for the, you know, within the home, and uh, you know, but yet you also see equality. You know, honor your father and mother, and so forth. Now, which brings me to another topic. You know, what about the treatment of women in, in the Old Testament? You know, there's a lot of mistreatment of women, but the question is, does God endorse? It? And I'd say, well, no, God does not in, not endorse the mistreatment of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to put some of the things that may seem a little strange uh, or unusual into uh, proper context to, to better understand some of, these le- some of the legislation with regard to uh, you know, men and women and so on. So, uh, so there's a lot that has to do with ancient Near Eastern religion and temple prostitution and so forth, keeping women, for example, uh, not, you know, not allowing women to be priests in the temple because of the Canaanite problem with temple prostitution and so forth. Um, but again, doesn't mean that God didn't have a high regard for women, He you know, made them in His image. Uh, you know, he, in fact, wanted all of the nation of Israel, men and women, in Exodus 19, to be a kingdom of priests to God. So you see that there is that fundamental equality. So I, I try to deal with uh, the issue of uh, the treatment of women, I deal with the issue of polygamy, uh, you know, you know, concubinage, and how that's to be understood, does God approve those sorts of things. Um, I also deal with the topic of uh, slavery. You know, is the kind of slavery that uh, rings in our ears as being uh, antebellum slavery in this country, is that the same sort of thing that is being talked about in the scriptures? And I I say uh, no. Um, I mean, you have in the New Testament Roman slavery, which is different from uh, slavery in Israel or servitude in Israel. And so I draw some of these distinctions and actually talk about how the scriptures actually have Uh, high regard for the value of those who are, uh, you know, in servitude, uh, that there is a time limit to how much, how long you can keep someone under contractual hire and so forth. So that's, uh, you know, another category, you know, I have a couple of chapters on servitude and then I have several chapters on the issue of warfare understanding what is going on with the the Canaanites and the Amalekites and so forth. Uh, You know, is God literally commanding people to be, you know, that people be wiped out, utterly annihilated, or is there something uh, something else going on here? Uh, Is God more interested in wiping out, uh, say, the forms of idolatry that could lead the people of Israel astray, or is it uh, something much more totalistic? Uh, so, so I go into exploring those topics and, um, and then have a, you know, in the, in the end, what I do is I try to talk about God as the foundation for objective moral values and human dignity and rights and so forth. And then in the last chapter, I talk about the influence of the Christian faith uh, throughout history, you know, the Jewish, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian faith. And the benefits that have been brought to primarily Western civilization because the because of this strong influence of the Christian faith, uh, and you know it leaves you wondering where in the world would we be had Christ not come into the world and had Christians not lived, uh, you know, in, in in keeping with the pattern that Christ set for them to bring about this kind of a transformation.
0: 2011. That was last year. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, uh, Sam. Obviously, Sam's not with us. Yeah. Uh, we asked him to come, and he said, no, I, I'm not sitting down with any Armenian scum. And he said, dude, come on. And he said, no, I'm not going to. He didn't say that. No, he would not say that. Very I wouldn't weird. take it personally. <laughs> uh, but he did put this book on his uh, top ten books of last year, right? Yeah, he did, actually. Was it yeah. Sam Storms? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to deal with just something specific to give people a taste of some of the problems, and maybe some offer some of the solutions. Maybe this isn't the best example. You usually have kind of these these examples that you'll give and really push, and you'll talk about some of those here tonight uh, for the evening with scholars at the Credo House. But there, a lot of times people bring up you know the treatment of women, Mm -hmm. right, and how women are treated in the Old Testament and. It, it just seems kind of odd in some places uh, definitely where you know you got this this stuff where a man's not satisfied with his wife and you know what does he do with her and it's kind of just this whole idea that's focused on the man and the the uh, him being like you said the center of everything and kind of the the women being left over and used and somewhat protected a little bit but just not to the degree that we would say today we would say that's very barbaric it's very very um, uh, harsh and even in one place it seems to be, and, and this is where you're going to have to correct me, because you know we're just reading the Bible here. Um, you've got in Exodus chapter 22, verse 28 and 29, where it says, "If a man finds a girl who is a virgin, is not engaged, engaged, and seizes her, some of them have some translations have to rapes her, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and uh, seizes her and lies with her, and they are discovered, then the man who lay with her, shall give the father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall become his wife." now that's a that's an interesting uh, uh passage because you know you're reading that and you're saying oh my goodness I mean look at look at what goes on with rape in the old testament you know what, what if we what if we implemented this law here today as some people are theonomists who say we should re reinstitute the old testament law so so rape results in you having to marry the person that you raped so be careful who you rape kind of is the the yeah. idea here yeah yeah so help help us out there
2: yeah well, you know, I, I give several passages here, and this is, you know, in case you're interested, you know, it's on, you know, thanks for opening up the, the, the book here, um, you know, on pages 118 and, uh, and 119 uh, on, in, in my book is God, a moral monster, and that there are actually several laws that are, are to be uh, distinguished here. There is, you know, you have, you know, when, when there is adultery between two consenting adults, uh, then there is, you know, both, you know, main the man and woman are uh, are to be punished. Um, you know, in what we're talking about here in this, uh, you know, in this um, passage here, is you know that there is a, you know, a, you know well, there's you know, another category that uh, that is highlighted that there is a forcible rape of an engaged woman um, whose innocence is assumed, and then you know, also in, in, in Exodus you know 22 the seduction of an unengaged woman, um, which is you know, and so you have different categories, and so you have something like statutory rape which is being highlighted. And so the person who is, you know, in statutory rape, you have a situation where there is someone who consents, but is, so to speak, a minor. And so the question then becomes, well, does this person, you know, there's a kind of a shame factor if you have sex before you're married. Uh, Then the question is, well, do you want this person with whom you, you know, it's called statutory rape, um, but this person may, the woman might still be interested in, but she's, she's not officially betrothed or, or anything like that. There hasn't been no arrangement. So what do you do? Uh, well, the, you know, the, the daughter and the father decide, well, is this something that we pursue, uh, or should we ultimately break it off? There's a penalty that is to be paid because this, this man is not, you know, in a sense, in this minor status like this, uh, this, this girl is, uh, in a disadvantaged state. Uh, and so, so there is some sort of a deal that is worked out, and so in this particular situation, you have uh, an arrangement that is made not because this person has you know thrust himself upon her. There are laws for that uh, as something distinct. But when you have say uh, this kind of a situation where it's more of a statutory rape uh, rather than you know you know say forcible rape, then that is something that that is different. So I highlight some of those things that are you know I kind of demarcate between them because there are there are there are are, nuances there yeah
0: because right here you have these three passages side by side which seems to be if you if you're taking them out of context and not putting them in the categories that you're talking about it seems to be the exact same thing but different penalties for each one but if you see them as different situations uh, such as what you said the statutory situation and uh, and i think you you have talked about before where where we, you know the the stigma that is placed upon a woman after something like this has happened, say the statutory rape, and you say let's go ahead and you know kill the man and don't give any choice or anything like that, um, then you have placed her in a situation to where she has to live the rest of her life probably unable to marry anybody, unable to take care of herself, and so it's a it's a bad situation on both sides yeah. possibly. Yeah. But the best of two worlds in this situation, statutory rape in this culture, where the stigma will. Ruin your life, then you would have to have some type of provision made for this woman that will yeah. uh, undoubtedly uh, carry this the rest of her yeah. life.
2: And again, it's not as though the um, you know there is no say in the matter. This is inevitable. It's a decision that the the father makes in conjunction with his daughter. And uh, and that uh, if this is something that is utterly intolerable, then then there is a payment, uh, a fine. Uh, but if this something that says you know, Dad, I really like this guy. I mean, it was not you know it shouldn't have happened, uh, but. Uh, but, you know, then, then marriage is permissible in, the, in this sort of a situation. It's, and it's you know, it's, you can understand it. But if it's just seen as, oh, I've got to marry my rapist, oh, great, uh, then that's a different situation. And, in fact, there's a great book, I mean, if you're willing to wade through a lot of excellent material, it's a dense book, but really rich in, in talking about the you know, sexuality and especially, you know, kind of women's uh, issues in the, um, you know, in the Old Testament a book called Flame of Yahweh by Richard Davidson, an Old Testament scholar uh, published by Hendrickson. It is just a massive book, a lot of research, and I've relied heavily on, on, on a lot of his work, but he do- talks about you know issues like this, about polygamy, about concubinage, and so forth, and puts a lot of helpful, you know, puts, puts much uh, material in helpful perspective. So I'd encourage people if they want to really delve into this, I'm just scratching the surface here, but Richard Davidson goes into a lot of detail uh, on these sorts of issues and really has just done superb work here. So would encourage people to take a look at that if they want to follow up. Well,
0: guys, and I'll let you guys ask some questions if y'all have any, but the thing, the thing that this provides is something that is extremely necessary for, again, what is going on today in... Uh, the 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 world of apologetics, the world of antagonism towards the faith. Things come and go. Things uh, are serious at one point, then they they die out as they are answered, and books are written, and then something comes up that's completely different. But this is the issue, it seems, for the next ten, the next decade. Um, is uh, this the this, this soundbite type stuff that you get from the God of the Old Testament yeah. and people pulling out passages such as I just read, taking them and pulling them completely out of context and throwing them on a newsreel or, or on, on a quick uh, uh, speaking engagement that they have at one of these universities. And all of a sudden that can destroy somebody's, I mean, from, from a human standpoint, can destroy their faith it really disturbs them to such a degree, especially young people who have never wrestled with these issues, never been uh, had any of these issues instigated uh, from, from, from within a safe environment where a Christian is trying to help them work through it. It's just something brand new, yeah. and it's kind of like, oh, I thought about that. How come nobody's ever dealt with it? The only people who are dealing with it are those people who are outside the faith, and they're the only ones who are being intellectually honest that this stuff is barbaric, Christianity is barbaric, and this is why this book and what you're doing and what people are writing. I think there's a few other books now out just like yours, but not quite as, quite as uh, uh, I think, comprehensive.
1: Well, what I like about it, too, I mean, we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ, right? Second Corinthians 5.20. And I think in there, what, what I like, though, is that... I think what Paul is showing is that when people throw these verses at us, that uh, like this this verse about about what seems to be a rape situation, and throw it at us, and, and kind of say, "Is this what you believe?" You know, I mean, this is a God that you're representing. This is the you know, you're being an ambassador for this type of a God. And what I like is that I think uh, Paul is showing though that that this world isn't that much different than our world. That a lot of the the complex laws we have set up, God set up many of those similar complex laws as well. And uh, for whatever reason, when someone's reading the Bible, they're thinking, oh, this is this is a total different God out of a total different world, and he's telling raped women to marry the person that just raped him. And I think Paul is breaking that down and showing, no, this is more like the legal system that we have set up, and God is being gracious, stepping into that time and place, and bringing morality to the situation, actually, instead of immorality, And uh, which I think can, and it's a, a, a book that can actually be be read by most people. And uh, so I think it does a great job equipping
0: people to, to be ambassadors and to represent the real God of the universe Good uh, Anybody have any questions here in the audience Please just raise your hand, let us know uh,
2: Well, go ahead, Brett On the, on the uh, issue that you just discussed Is the complaint that we can't follow a God That would allow this kind of law Come through Moses Or come through Deuteronomy Is this saying that that law not That God can't be the God you want to follow and is the answer more along the line, well, it was for those people at that time? I'm, 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 I kind of simplify that. Well, you know, there are, you know, what I what I maintain is that you, as, you know, I hinted at it, but uh, you have a situation in the ancient Near East where you have people who are, uh, you know, you have, you know, and you'll find this in other parts of the world too, you know, today, where you have a... Uh, a situation that is, you know, you have, you have social deterioration, um, certain prejudices and, um, you know, social structures that, uh, that are, you know, dehumanizing, that are, uh, that, uh, that, that stifle, that oppress and so forth. And so you have God, in a sense, you know, speaking, you know, through Moses and the Mosaic legislation to bring elevation to that situation, not necessarily a total overhaul. But, you know, there is a, you know, that addressing certain fundamental attitudes like the, you know, the, the role, you know, the equality of women, you know, honoring your father and your mother, you know, of, you know, of treating women as, you know, equal, you know, moral agents with men and so forth. That it's not as though you have some sort of a legislation where, you know, like today in a lot of these honor killings, for example, in Muslim countries where a guy can rape a woman. And he gets off scot-free or on a very light penalty, and the woman ends up sometimes getting killed by her own family because she somehow dishonored the family because of, uh, you know, premarital sex, uh, in quotation marks. Uh, you know, and, and so these sorts of intolerable things that, uh, you, know, you know, that— Uh, you know, those types of corrupt structures, I'm not saying that that's equivalent, but I'm saying that there are a lot of inferior structures that are going on in in the ancient Near East, and so God steps in and bring, you know, elevates the role of those who are, you know, in servitude. He elevates the role of women. You know, he elevates, you know, moral responsibility. Uh, He puts a, a premium on People over property, which is different from other ancient Near Eastern law codes and so forth. So you have you know a, a difference in outlook. You have a you know a, a fairer treatment in you know in, in many ways of uh, uh, of human beings as responsible agents and so forth. Uh, you know rejecting the kinds of practices of, uh, of of the pagans around them. So so it is on the one hand raising the moral awareness uh you know you know know, but it's not as high as say the ideal but it is an attempt to get them in the direction of the ideal so that's pretty much where i'm where i'm arguing and are your antagonists saying or are they just flat saying that's why you can't follow that god yeah that's what people will say you know that um this is you know i can't believe in a god who allows that or sometimes they're just loaded words sometimes not helpfully translated a term like slave which conjures up uh antibellum slavery rather than seeing it as a, a contractual hire some sort of like indentured servitude uh on which uh you know a lot of jobs in in our early uh colonial history were founded that you paid for your passage uh over you know over to the new world over a period of years and then once you were done you were free to go about as an ordinary citizen which is very much like what you see going on in ancient Israel so so those are some things that are uh, potentially problematic you know just the the vocabulary itself
1: well paul that's been awesome. Uh, what we'll do is, uh, if you don't mind, we'll we'll our keep you... Our sound
0: engineer had a question. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay, we'll, we'll actually keep you for a few minutes if you're okay with that. And uh, we're going to continue recording this on, in our membership area. And so if you're a member or would like to become a member, head on over to that area. And then uh, in that area, too, we'll have Paul's uh, talk tonight as well. So if you go to credohouse.org, uh, then over on the right, click on Become a Member. Uh, we'd love to have you over there and, and love to have you uh, continue seeing these questions and, uh, really, we'd just love to have to, your support. Yeah, we'd love both. Uh, but then you could see Paul uh, tonight. And it's for, a worthy cause, I might yeah, add. For, so. for about an hour and a half tonight, Paul will be, uh, be, be discussing these issues and uh, with a, hopefully a room full of people here at the Credo House. But uh, thank you for all that you do for the kingdom. Uh, I'm excited for you. We were talking earlier about all the works that you have coming out in such various fields. And so we appreciate you uh, contributing to playing your role in the body of Christ uh, edify us so that we can be of of, of help to our city, directing people to Christ. So thank you for being here. And uh, this has been Theology Unplugged.